0: Welcome to 20 Minute Tabletop, a podcast sharing the love of all things tabletop gaming in bite-sized pieces. I'm your host, John Wiki, here today with my co-host, Stevie.
1: Today, we're going to return to a world of fantasy. A world where a critical hit or a critical failure can turn the tide of battle. A world of storytelling and adventure. Specifically, the Fall of Plagstone adventure from Paizo written for Pathfinder 2nd Edition.
0: So we're going to run this episode in two sections. First, we're going to talk in general about the adventure in the most spoiler-free terms that we can. There will be some high-level spoilers such as if there's dungeons or high society balls, focusing on things that would potentially affect if you want to play this adventure. This section is for everybody so that you can decide if this is an adventure for you.
1: The second part will allow us to talk about some characters, events, locations, or items in more detail. We won't give everything away, but there will be spoilers. This section will be intended for anyone who may want to consider running this adventure as the GM. We'll give you a huge warning when your quest of Should I Play This? has been completed and the spoilers are incoming.
0: So, let's turn to the adventure book itself to learn what The Fall of Plaguestone is. The Fall of Plaguestone is the first standalone adventure for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, designed for first-level characters. It tells the story of how a group of strangers band together to form a group of adventurers while saving the town of Ettrin's Folly from a terrifying fate, serving as the perfect introduction to a new Pathfinder campaign. A group of new adventurers traveling through the city of Ettrin's Folly, known as Plagestone, must come together to solve the murder of a friend. What starts a simple investigation quickly turns sinister with the discovery of forbidden alchemy, mutant animals, and a nearby forest rotting away due to a mysterious blight. It becomes clear that if these heroes don't intervene to stop whatever evil is brewing, the fall of Plaguestone is all but certain.
1: My first impression was that this was just going to be a mission, right? Go here, protect this caravan, and all these things will happen on the way. But the caravan's only a small fraction of the story, and it ended up being a freaking murder mystery the whole time!
0: For us, this was the first large adventure that I ran for our playgroup. We ran some small missions and bounties leading into this, but this was our first real big adventure we did. And I knew it had a reputation for being deadly, but that didn't really dampen my excitement to run this.
1: So let's talk about the episode mechanics. This is a three-part adventure broken down by the three main plot points in the story, the first two which are mentioned in the player's introduction, a murder and a blight in the forest. The final plot point we will talk about in more detail in the second half of the episode because it contains spoilers. What's neat is the first two sections have the option of being run concurrently, which I found really unique for a multi-session adventure.
0: This is a standalone adventure from Paizo. So what that means is this is a story that will take adventurers through a few levels but is contained. This is separate from their adventure paths, which are usually three or six books, and that will go anywhere from 10 levels all the way up to level 20.
1: Yeah, I believe this one took us through three levels total.
0: This book gives you everything you need to run the game. It has the adventure, it has descriptions, characters, stat blocks, though some just reference the bestiary that you can look up also on 2e.aonprd.com for free, as we talked about a lot in episode one. And items unique to the adventure and maps.
1: While you can't see the adventure or the maps on Aeon PRD, You can filter to see the related content, so you can see all the equipment, feats, monsters, and all the unique things from the Fall of Plaguestone specifically.
0: Now, as I looked it up, print doesn't seem to be any longer available new from Paizo, but it did come out in 2019. You might still be able to find it at your local game store, but you can get the PDF direct from Paizo still. I do love that all their books are available in PDF form. We used Foundry VTT to run this game virtually because we started this during the pandemic. And so I imported the PDF using the PDF to Foundry module, which converted my watermark PDF into the scenes, characters, text journal entries, to read and reference that are also referenced in the maps. It made it very easy to get up and running. Now, you can have a listen to more on episode 6 to find out more about Foundry VTT. But this set me up with what I needed for almost everything. I had to create a couple more maps, but that kind of gave me the start of what I needed.
1: It is also available for purchase on Fantasy Grounds and Roll20. From looking, it looks like Fantasy Grounds will discount you the price of the PDF if you purchased it from Paizo. Same goes for Roll20, but it calls out the reverse, that they will also give you the PDF for free on Paizo.com.
0: And if you're all about those sounds, there is the sound set available from Sirenscape if you want to help bring the scenes to life with background noises, action sounds, and everything that kind of correspond to what you're going to see in this adventure. I will say it didn't give me maps for everything, so I had to create some myself and actually looked up some that were created online from other GMs and shared for use. So there's definitely some great places to reach out there. A lot of people have created stuff for this, so you can find it. They put it out there free for use for the couple of things that are referenced, but don't have explicit map that you might want one for.
1: This adventure starts at level one and is recommended for a party of four. But when we played it, we had a trio. So John started us once we were level two characters. It is still a very deadly adventure. This was Paizo's first 2e adventure, as we mentioned before, so it may not be as balanced as some of their later adventures. We did find it challenging at times, and there were definitely encounters where we were struggling, even though we were a level higher than we needed to be, to get through without losing consciousness.
0: So, and overall, for length of play, it took us about 17 sessions of two to three hours each to really work through this. I kind of look back at my notes, and it'll really obviously depend on the size of your group, their playing style, side quests, their love and hate of the NPCs, how much they care.
1: Look, we had some major problems in Plague Stone with those turnip farmers, and that is not because we were inflammatory. It was because they knew nothing.
0: And that is not a spoiler. They're dumb as rocks. So, in our spoiler-free section here, let's talk a little bit more about it. All in all, it's a great adventure, even if those townspeople, Veteran Folly, are stupid and unhelpful, as you call it. You did not like them at all.
1: No, we did not. That's why I wrote that in the notes, is that they are stupid and unhelpful.
0: As you had me read that.
1: Some of the sandbox elements were unfamiliar to our group at the time of play, so sometimes our party was at a loss for what to do because it wasn't necessarily obvious. At this point, suggestions from the GM were really helpful. Towards the beginning of the venture, there's a period of time when you're in Plaguestone and you have several options, but we just couldn't really think of more than two on our own. So there were points where John's like, well, why don't you go do this? And we're like, oh, okay, let's go do that. And that triggers a bunch of rolling and role play that needs to occur. And you do eventually get information from that interaction. Same thing goes for later phases of the game. There were a couple of times where we got a little stuck, and you're like, well, you know, you could always go do XYZ, or you reminded us of maybe an NPC we hadn't addressed at that point.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that can be chalked up to being more novice players at the time. The three player party were all new to playing and played up to level two, and then we were jumping into this. So there was definitely a little bit of growing to go on there, but. As a GM, that's what I did. I just laid out options to remind you of things that are there that your characters might have already noticed and might remember that it's hard to remember in the moment. And I think you guys did a great job working your way through it.
1: One of the things I really liked about this were the details that were woven throughout the story. They were really well done. And without giving anything away, there's more than meets the eye. I feel like it has a good mix of elements to the story. So there's social mechanics, there's investigations, there's dungeon crawls. And it presents time for different classes to shine, though because this was the first adventure, the opportunities may not be as apparent for some of their newer classes.
0: Exactly. It gave those moments for all the base classes that came out when this adventure came out. So like you have those abilities. And and some of those abilities do cross over to new classes, so you'll still get that moment. But it was kind of really cool the way it was put out there that this element exists, so a character with this will really get a chance to shine. And this will be perfect for this character to shine. So whatever you're playing gets their moment without the GM having to put it out there. It's just it's written in and baked into the adventure. And there's things we can talk about in the next section that are a little more specific that were great for the character you developed personally, Stevie that on the path you were taking them without knowing, that there were things that were just, when she gets to this part of the adventure, she's going to love this. I know this is going to be great.
1: Oh, yeah, that definitely happened, and that was really cool. So what were your non-spoilery feelings about the fun of this adventure?
0: I think it really sets things up in a way to allow some level one adventurers to prove themselves into Heroes without really feeling too forced it sets it up to look into this thing that's about your friend and then it gives us opportunities for them to really be heroes which i think is great because you always have that well why do they want to be an adventure you have to have that start but then why are you going forward why is there the buy-in i think this nicely organically made that happen
1: i agree and for me i really enjoyed the story we've talked about it before i appreciate a well-written story and paizo does a great job here In the end, it's neat, it ties up nicely, all the loose ends get woven in, and it's just very well done.
0: Okay, from this point on, there might be light to moderate spoilers. So, if you're a potential player considering this adventure, turn back now. You've completed your quest, it's over. Now, if you're a potential GM evaluating if you want to run this adventure, continue onward.
1: We'll wait for all those potential players to leave the room and fast forward the podcast to the funny part at the end. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers.
0: So if I had to summarize this AP for a GM looking to run it, I'd say it shapes up in the following way. Part one, murder mystery. Part two, a second seemingly unrelated mystery. Part three, dungeon crawl. And oh, parts one and two are related, and the boss battle.
1: I like the way that they all connect you to Vilri, which she can be mentioned by one of the NPCs, but you don't really connect her to everything right away. I think the connection was made because of the copious notes that I took in part one. She's the one who orders the murder. This work she's doing is what's causing the blight. She's trying to destroy the town. Everything goes back to her. But in those first two parts, unless you have somebody like me who takes ridiculous quantities of notes, they may not notice that name come up, one. And two, they may not realize that the death of Bort And the blight in the forest are related at all.
0: Yeah, I think it really gives that to you at the end of part two that those are connected. But, I mean, that was the key is at the end of part one, you get a note that's just signed V. And at that time with your notes, you connected it to, wait, wasn't there a name that began with V? And you could check your notes, it was there. Later, I I awarded you a hero point for being right about that. But it was kind of one of those where you were making the connection, even though you weren't sure that you were right yet.
1: So specifically, I want to talk about part one. We talked a little bit earlier about that sandbox element, but for our group, I feel like part one dragged on a little bit because we were newer to Pathfinder. We were not familiar with sandbox setup. We'd run out of things to do. Um, Some of the group was completely new to role-playing altogether, so things that may have advanced the plot, like role-playing talking to townspeople, didn't happen as much as they probably could have or should have. So if you're running this with newer players, don't forget about that role-playing aspect of role-playing games.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, you guys got hung up on asking the townsfolk where the bully lived, and no one knew from the first couple you asked, so you stopped asking. But the problem is, it's just written that there's only one person who knows where he lives, because he lives in a dilapidated secret hideout. So, like, there's only one person who really knows where he lives, so, like, you guys got turned away from that? It's a small town, why does nobody know where this guy lives? Well, it's it's a small town, but it doesn't mean everybody knows where everybody lives, especially if they don't live in a normal house.
1: Right. And there are times where that sandbox set up. And again, this is nothing against sandboxes. It just purely had to do with us being novice players. We would maybe get hooked on the wrong thing. So we would start following a dead end, not knowing it was a dead end. You were trying to indicate to us that it was a dead end, but like we kept after it.
0: I love the chase mechanics for trying to run down Finnick. It really makes an interesting way to have a cinematic chase scene while still having some mechanics and dice rolls to it, but it's not just about a math of squares and what route you take and who has the higher speed. It's something I think I need to remember to work into other adventures and stories just to reuse that, because it's really cool on how it just throws out, okay, this is going to happen. There's mud. Do you want to try to charge through it? Do you want to try to jump around it? Roll in acrobatics, roll in athletics. And if you fail, okay, you're going to fall back. And you need X number of successes to catch the person. I love that part of it.
1: Oh, the chase was really cool. And like you said, it gave options for here's an obstacle. How are you going to deal with it? So for my character, who's a rogue, I have a bit more dex. So I'm going to choose something that's more dex based than strength based when I'm going over, around, or through an obstacle versus, you know, maybe someone who's strength based will just run straight through the mud, whereas I may try and jump over it.
0: And Finnick was great because you had the right idea of wanting to find him, but you weren't being successful. But it's written in the adventure path to make that move forward that you can find him. But if you don't, he's going to come back into town looking for food. And then that's a, a place for you guys to encounter him. So that's it does have ways to help advance the sandbox if you can't quite find the right notes to hit.
1: And he kind of spurs you into the last part of that first section of the story. And as a result, like I said, if you don't really know what to do, you're basically sitting around town for a day and a half, two days, twiddling your thumbs. Later on in the story, there's a blood ooze. And I personally think that was one of the hardest things to fight. By this point, we had added to our party. So we actually had a four-person party, again, above a level recommended. So at this point, we were level three characters when we would have been level two. So we had a four-person party, a level higher than we needed to be, and we still had two almost die during this encounter. That fight did include the architect, who we nicknamed Bob the Builder, and while he wasn't the problem for us, the blood ooze was a major issue because of the damage it dealt.
0: It was a fantastic monster. Now, we will, I will call it, this is the end of part two, so this was the boss fight and you have this orc architect who's doing the alchemy work, and then this blood ooze, and you weren't bothered by him, you took him out. But the ooze, I mean, it dealt persistent bleed on you guys, and then if you're near it while bleeding, that will give it healing back. It had an attack to hit you guys all at once, so if you guys did crowd it up, it just kept smacking all of you. And then on top of that, oh yeah, that's right, it's immune to precision damage against a party that had two rogues and also a swashbuckler who can do precision damage with panache. Oh yeah, it, it had your number.
1: Yeah, it was that was a painful fight. Moving on to the third section, which is sort of our dungeon crawl part, the loot from Villery's castle was really cool. While the story might lead you a little bit to think that she might be a witch or a magic wielder like her mother, she's not, she's just a really good alchemist. We, even with my lots and lots of notes, we all miss this because there were hints about it through the entire story until that boss battle. And that's when we were going up against her that we finally went, uh, oh, she doesn't have magic. She, she's just a cat. Oh, she's just an alchemist. All right, then. Well,
0: that, that's the thing. Her mom is, wasn't a witch. The scared townspeople during the plague called her a witch and you guys and they blamed her for it. And then you guys just latched onto that when the, the mayor passed that information on to you guys. So you latched on onto, onto that hard that you were going to go fight a witch. And it was fantastic watching it go along the whole time. Even when you found the book of alchemical formulas, which is while you're a rogue, you took the talent to be able to craft alchemy. So that book was amazing for you loot-wise because it gave you all these formulas for all these cool, weird things that are like those really unique ones that are hard to just acquire on your own anyway. And you guys still were ready to go, let's go get this witch. Let's go down these stairs and go find this witch.
1: Again, being novice players, I think, comes in there. Because, again, we assumed at their word that they knew what a witch was. But given that they were dumb as rocks, these NPCs, we we really should have known better.
0: Well, and it was one of those meta getting in the way a little bit. You knew witch was a class, so you just assumed it could have been a witch. And if her mom had caused the plague, she probably would have been a witch. But she didn't actually cause it. She just got blamed for it.
1: Well, yeah, I definitely didn't think she caused it, but I definitely thought, here's a village, caravans go through here all the time, they know what a fighter looks like, so they probably know what a witch looks like. So yeah, maybe a little metagaming, but definitely a lot being a novice player.
0: So one of my biggest worries was at the start of the third part where you find where Villery is held up, you guys have to infiltrate, and there's a bunch of orc guards, and it has the potential to put a lot of orcs against you guys at once. And I'll say you guys, you guys were like, let's go up and over the wall and it could go badly. And you got in there and with a little bit of luck from my crappy archer rolling, you guys took it on. You stayed alive. You actually you had some good strategy of like going up the stairs to create some bottlenecks and then jumping back down onto people like you handled it really well. But that, that was a part that I was actually really worried about because of the number of combatants, because if it goes wrong, they sound the alarm and all the people from multiple rooms come out and fight you at once.
1: Oh yeah, and I can see how if we hadn't gone up the tower, they could have gotten to flank each of us very quickly, and that goes badly for us. Especially with two rogues and a swashbuckler, that flanking is golden to be able to deal damage to parties that are bigger, larger, stronger than you are. Going into the castle and the dungeon crawl was, you know, your standard dungeon crawl, pretty neat, uh, some interesting information, but in the basement of Villery's castle, there's an amalgam, and we did not do well against that creature, combination of some poor rolls and just luck, and you think that that might be the last thing in the dungeon, because you're like, oh, I'm in the basement of the dungeon, here's big scary thing, just kidding, there's still Villery after that. So if you're the GM, you probably want to remind your players once they defeat the Amalgam, assuming they're not dead, like we almost were, that they may want to take a minute and do some medicine checks, roll some heal checks, take some potions, whatever they need to do to go into the boss battle, at least, you know, with most of their hit points intact, because Villery also has a lot of tricks up
0: her sleeve. I also like that stopping Villery didn't stop her. Like, it's got this little twist ending that you stop her, but she's already sent a creature off to go blow up Plaguestone. And so it has a potential to be very, very dramatic because this thing is basically, it's just going to run for the center of town to set off all the uh, chemical stuff that's been poured in there over the years. And sure, you guys immediately crit it and took it out, and it really wasn't really problematic, but it could have been because their health and movement makes it very hard to kind of take them down the last minute, but you guys... I mean, you guys, you guys set yourself up well so I knew you had a shot at it and then your first roll was a crit. And I'm like, well, there we go. That was the end. So let's talk about our enjoyment of the adventure here now that we're in spoiler territory.
1: I really like this, despite the residents of Etran's Folly. It had a nice mix of mystery, investigation type elements and those traditional RPG or dungeon crawl elements like the huge castle that Villery holds herself up in.
0: I gotta say, I loved running this. It led to some really great moments. It was fun to have that investigation part up front and the dungeon crawl and the trap elements, which some of those were also quite deadly, like the very first one you guys set off just launching a spear directly into your face. And I love that you all decided you wanted to open a bread and breakfast adventurer's camp for nobles there afterwards in Vilri's Castle.
1: Okay, that was not a we. That was a very specific section of our party
0: and you know it. Let's go with our final thoughts. Fun,
1: twisty, deadly.
0: Long live the blood I'm your host John Wiki, and you can find me on Twitter as John underscore Wickie, that's W-I-C-K-E-E
1: And you can find me on social media at Stevie's underscore games
0: 20 Minute Tabletop is a morecore Studios production. Theme song by Arthur Rowan Moorcore art by Sita Duncan do you want more tabletop gaming fun? Subscribe to 20 Minute Tabletop on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more on our website, 20minTabletop.com. That's the numbers 20mintabletop.com. Or connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at 20minTabletop. That's at 20MINTabletop. Thank you and roll with fortune. Is that about the NPCs or is that a comment on me?